This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 20th of July, 2021. So, Norman, at the moment, there are people, especially in Sydney, who are being asked to get tested every three days because they're where they live or the jobs that they're in. But we're also hearing that returning results for testing is taking a really long time, sometimes a day or two, which is hugely disruptive. Well, yeah, two or three days. And in fact, we've had a note to CoronaCast, which will have to remain anonymous, on behalf of his partner who works for a private pathology, saying it's 20... You know, it's 48 hours at the moment. And uh, so that's really a long time when you're trying to control a pandemic. 48 hours is really not that acceptable. And it's super disruptive when you're asking people to get tested every couple of days if they're in high-risk professions. Yes, it's it's disruptive in every dimension and also not being able to trace people. And particularly in New South Wales, where, you know, the results have been... People are used to results within 12, 14 hours. You know, you get it during the day and they text you at three in the morning with the results has been a really good service up till now. So I've been, I've been hearing that in other countries they're using these things called rapid antigen testing or just rapid testing. What is it? Well, what it is mostly, so this is separate from home testing, but home testing is a form of rapid testing. So what the PCR is, it detects some of the RNA in the virus, some of the genetic material in the virus. And it amplifies it to see whether, you know, just, so if it finds it, it amplifies it. And then you can make the diagnostic test as positive. And you might have heard of the CT value. So if the CT value is low, it means there's lots of virus around and they haven't had to multiply very much. And if the CT value is high to find out the virus, they've actually had to do lots and lots of multiplications of the RNA. So what the rapid antigen tests do is actually test for a chunk of the virus itself. And it's much easier. So in other words, you don't have to do that amplification process. But it's been really controversial. One of the issues here in getting rapid antigen testing accepted is two things. One is the accuracy, and the other is the conflict of interest in the pathology industry. Because for every PCR test, they get paid 100 bucks, And it's been a bit of a river of gold for pathology here. And so there's a con- there, is, there is a conflict of interest. But to be fair, there's also an issue over the accuracy of the rapid antigen test. So what the, what's the differential between how accurate a PCR test or how accurate a rapid antigen test is? So to be clear, what we're talking about here is... The gold standard is the PCR through the nose and not the saliva test. The saliva test, which also uses this genetic amplification, is not as accurate as the PCR. So if you're going to compare it to that, then the rapid antigen testing is not as accurate in the lead up to maximum viral load. So there's a bit of a higher false negative rate. But on the kind of good side is that it's less likely to pick up virus late in the infection and come up with a false positive. So PCR, because it's so sensitive, picks up these viral fragments when somebody's not that infectious. And what and there's been a study which shows that if you do repeated rapid antigen testing, then you actually get to a situation where it's almost as accurate as PCR. It kind of the repeated tests, if you like, negate the inaccuracy of the test. So we heard Brett Sutton yesterday saying that they could be used for big stadium events. What other situations would they be useful for? Well, in Howard Springs, they were using rapid antigen testing for staff. So rather, you you can do it just in the front of the nose. You don't have to go to the back of the nose. It takes 15 minutes to get a result. It costs $10 or $15, depending on the test and the bulk order you've put in. 
and they were doing it with te- with uh, staff on a very regular basis, and then um, doing PCRs less frequently. Not they didn't abolish PCR at all. You could do it with uh, construction workers, where instead of asking them to do frequent PCR tests, you might get them to do daily rapid antigen tests, which you, which the company they're working for has to monitor and see that it's actually accurate. And then uh, every so often at a regular interval, you would do a PCR test. So that would take some of the heat off there. Critical workers, you might do uh, more, you know, very frequent rapid antigen tests and then come in with a PCR every so often. You wouldn't rely on it 100%, but you could actually cover it more. And then, as Brett Sutton was saying, in large numbers of people, you could add it to the price of the ticket and you do a rapid antigen test and you wait there on the outer rink of the the outer ring of the stadium for 15 minutes and see whether you're positive or negative, much more accurate than taking your temperature. And if you're positive, if you're negative, you can go in and it's, you know, not bad screening. Right. So it's really, it's good in places where you want to get a high volume of testing done. That's right. And accept a little bit of inaccuracy. And all screening tests accept a bit of inaccuracy. Even PCR testing accepts a bit of inaccuracy. Um, And when you get to um, you know, when you go for a mammogram, when you do fecal occult blood, cervical cancer screening, all those things have an inaccuracy when you're screening a lot of healthy people, but you actually do eliminate risk to a significant extent. Okay, so then when wouldn't they, like they sound amazing, they're fast and they're cheaper and all that sort of thing, when wouldn't they be appropriate? They wouldn't be appropriate for the symptomatic testing. So the regular testing that we're seeing now for c- coronavirus in a in an outbreak situation, you would not replace that with rapid antigen testing at this point. You would still go for your PCR testing. It's more, as you quite rightly say, where you've got large numbers of people at very low risk, but you want to make sure they don't have the virus. And therefore, you could do massive numbers quickly and relatively cheaply. And you wouldn't increase the queues, as we've seen in Sydney and southwestern suburbs, where you've had queues through the night, where you've insisted that people get tested they wouldn't have to be tested quite as frequently. Right. So they still get done by pathology though? You can't you said that's different to a home test. No, they don't no, they don't get sent off to pathology. They're done there and then. You see the results. Some of them look like a bit like a pregnancy, a pregnancy test. Interesting. So you so you just see it there and then and you've got the result. And so if you're already spending X number of dollars on going to see the footie, um, you spend another ten or fifteen. So speaking of long queues for tests, Norman, we're seeing still big numbers in New South Wales, even though there has been a, a bit of a drop. Well we're seeing big numbers in tests testing. And in terms of cases, yes, yesterday there was uh, 98 cases, but the key number, which is the number of people who've been circulating in the community totally for over a day, is 20. So that's a bit down from before, but it was still 44 from memory, partly out there in the community, either fully or partly out there in the community. So it's still a lot. And so that curve is not bending yet satisfactorily. Victoria numbers down a bit. They're extending the lockdown and that's reasonable because there are still some issues around venues such as the MCG, such as Amy. And the question is, has this been so infectious that people have caught it outside? And it's becoming clearer that they probably didn't, that they may have caught it in the bar or, as Brett Sutton said, in the pinch points as they were coming through gateways into the into the venue. Um, rather than just sitting next to somebody in the open air watching the match. Right. You think about an outdoor event, but you're never outdoors for the entire experience of going to an event like that. Like you say, there's there's toilets and bars and entryways and that sort of thing. I saw that uh, a, a music festival in the Netherlands had a big number of people who caught the virus, even though it was outdoors. And you think about a music festival 
people are jammed in pretty close together at, at points in a music festival. Yeah, and uh, so it's partly outdoors, but it's just really cheek by jowl and you could be waiting for a long time. So you could be standing there 15, 20 minutes in a queue and if it's, there's not much wind around, you're breathing the same air as, as a lot of other people. So yesterday we put the call out to people asking them if if you knew, our dear audience, what was happening to any leftover doses that were happening at private GP clinics or vaccination hubs. And thank you all so much for the responses that you sent in. We got heaps of answers because, as we were saying, Norman, there's not really a system as such uh, about what happens with these few doses that might be left over at the end of the day. Yeah, and even if there is a system, what's happening in the real world? And it's been fascinating what people are saying, and we encourage you to keep on sending in your comments. Do you want to go through some of them, Tegan? Yeah, so one one person who sent in to us is a doctor at a Commonwealth-funded GP respiratory clinic, not a state-run hub, and we're talking in this instance about Pfizer. That's the one that's in short supply. There's no shortage of AstraZeneca. Uh, they receive a fixed number of doses each week. They slightly underbook each day because there is some potential wastage in just the process of giving them, and then they will have leftovers at the end of each week. So they keep a physical list of people as standby. They're usually people who are at the end of their current booking systems um, who might have some urgency and want to get it sooner. So people who are maybe hoping to travel or they're expecting to get medical treatments and that sort of thing. And they only will open a vial if they they know they've got five people lined up so that they can use it all. Yeah, and um, another person wrote in saying, regarding locating Pfizer vaccines at the end of the day and about to expire. One of my co-workers who's in her 30s phoned around clinics and asked about vaccines about to expire and asked if she jumped into taxi and come and get vaccinated. And they said, come as soon as you can and made a booking for the second at that time. And as we said yesterday, should people feel guilty about that? No, because it's the end of the day. And Israel's policy was, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, just get them used and get them into anybody. And what would trouble, I think, to hear is that they've got doses left over at the end of the day and just because you don't, you're not eligible because you happen to be 30 rather than, 40, rather than 50, you're not getting it and they'll throw it out rather than give it to you. I hope we're not going to hear any stories like that. Yeah, better in any arm than in the bin. Um, Camilla said, just sort of showing just how much of a patchwork this is, Camilla said she's heard anecdotally of people getting leftover doses at the end of the day at the Royal Prince Alfred. She asked the nurse when she had her second shot last week, she is eligible. And they said, yeah, they do have leftover doses, but they don't take walk-ins. They allocate them to health staff. And Camilla makes the point of what health staff at the RPA haven't already been given shots. And then she also knows of a friend who did get one through going at the end of the day. So it definitely sounds like it's a mixed bag out there. Yeah, and you've also got a factor in New South Wales. They have been giving Pfizer to household members of healthcare workers, which is absolutely the right thing to do because your household contacts are where it's going to go next and healthcare workers are at high risk. So it may be that they're talking about some household contacts who haven't had it either. So there's much more flexibility or there has been in New South Wales than other jurisdictions. And of course, we'd be remiss not to say if you are eligible, book your shot today or yesterday. And if you're not, then uh, this sounds like maybe if you call around, you might be able to track down a shot anyway. Yeah. And as I say, keep on, keep these comments coming because quite a lot of variety in what people are telling us is happening. You know where to send them, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Yeah. And the good news is nobody seems to be wasting any. It's just, it's a different way of disposing of them, of getting, of, of getting them into arms. Yeah. Even though it is ad hoc, they are, it doesn't sound like there's much going in the bin at all. No, no. Which is great news. That's what I was worried about. So we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> 